Chats with Larry is a podcast of phone call conversations of me with my best buddy, Larry Keene. Larry is a retired minister and sociology professor, and he has the biggest heart of anyone I know. I'm Rabbi Brian, an ordained rabbi who heads religion outside the box, where I create great spiritual faith religious content for intelligent digital age seekers like you, people of all religious affiliations of none and everyone in between. I decided surreptitiously to record my chats with Larry with the hope that he would later give permission so that you might enjoy listening in. As you can deduce, Larry gave his blessing. Enjoy as we talk about philosophy, religion, sociology, and life. With love, I'm Rabbi Brian. On today's Rabbi Brian Chats with Larry, listen, we have great audio quality, which is a great improvement over last time, but that's because I told Larry I was going to record it, and he was really stiff at the start, and I've skipped that. Enjoy the good quality and fast start as Larry and I talk about six things. One, willpower and God's power. God's will, love people, use things. Two, willpower won't power, and how we don't always have to do what we think we should do. Three, Satan, good, and evil. Four, Larry's imposter syndrome and Brian's childlike, playful spirit. Five, the paradox of pride. And six, explaining religion without the religious words. Okay, buddy, is this working? Yeah, it seems like it's working. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. The last time I did it, though, the recording was all effed up, so... Can I follow up with you? Yes. So you said, you know, God's will, and you quoted Kant. You said it's love people use things. Yeah. Could you, is, could we just what? bumper sticker it at that and say, that's God's will is love people use things. Yeah. I just love that statement. Uh, we are to love people and use things. The greatest immorality is when we reverse the, opposite. the true yeah. and love things and use yeah. people. It just, yeah, uh, I heard that from, it's beautiful. I heard it from Buber, um, mm, but I, I mean, it was Kant. Yeah. Maybe I got him confused. So there was also, I made note of this. There was a phrase uh, that you said, well, first we got to talk about, you keep using the, the first person singular pronoun he when talking about God. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure when you write it, you you probably write it with a capital H to show some something, but talk help me, Larry, because like it just gristles, it 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 grates on me, and it takes me. It's like that moment in the movie that takes you out of the movie, and you're like, oh, I'm in the theater, I'm not actually watching a movie. It yeah. just it takes me out of it. It's like no, but that's not makes that doesn't work. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, it, you know we're in some respects. Let me say one thing and then mean another. We're all victims of our culture. You know that. I know that. And language is a part of the culture. And the Bible is a patriarchal book. And we all get that at an intellectual level. And I guess I've made peace with it this way that, yeah, we we can sit down and argue about pronouns. But let's forget that argument and get beneath the pronouns and talk about what it is that we're trying to get our heads around, you know, the idea. I'm I'm with you, but it's the same way at the end of a Jewish wedding ceremony, traditionally just the groom breaks a glass. Is that right? Yeah. 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 You've been to weddings with me and you've seen both of them break the glass. 
because that's what I always tell the, I say to the couple, and I don't think my daughter has ever seen it that just one breaks a glass. I think that's wonderful. Yes. Well, so that, that's my case for using God as he is that, yes, it's just a construct, but until we change the construct, we're not going to change the meaning. And Annie's going to start get the notion that there's something off with her because she's using a different pronoun and therefore is she as much related to God? Yeah, no, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and I don't know how to break that and communicate. Sometimes the substitute is more cumbersome. than It, the it other. does get cumbersome, but I'm willing to pay the cumbersome tax. Okay. I'm glad I had to just bring that up for me. I, I wrestle with that. Um, too. I just, um, Um, Adam Smith, what you were talking about reminded me of Adam Smith, right? Who came up with economic theories, assuming that people are rational. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. people aren't rational and people don't do always what's best for their purse strings. Yeah. Rationality doesn't always take us all the way, does it? Uh, Something more is needed, but it's better than either being irrational or non-rational. Uh, and so well, we, I'm, I'm, I'm with you halfway there. Yeah. And so being fully rational does not always guarantee uh, and that was Plato's point that if you through the act of reason know the truth, you'll do the truth. And and that's just not true. Right, it's not right, right, right. It's just not true. And that's yeah. what we see with people. People aren't flossing their teeth. People are eating a hell of a lot more sugar than they should be that's and fried exactly. foods than they should be. There we go. don't yeah. always do. And that brings us back to Paul, that yeah. we don't always do that which we know we should do. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you don't do it. <laughs> you know, but right. it doesn't mean it, that do. doesn't yeah. mean you. Sh- right. It doesn't mean. All right. Well, then screw it. I'm not going to do. You also, you thought you talked about Satan in a way I've never heard you talk about Satan. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had this conversation. It's just, um, you know, <laughs> the whole question about good and evil and how evil can be a part of God's plan. It just seems to be against his nature, does it not? Uh, how can anything? Um, well, I have I have a very easy answers for that, if you'd like to ask. Well, all, uh, the, all uh, the discussion that Jewish teachers have had through the years, that's the wonderful thing about Judaism, that there's an answer there somewhere. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, it goes like this. First, Satan is it's a it's a verb. It's le Satan to to oppose. And Satan isn't a standalone character until the book of Job. Satan is just a there was the Philistine army came up as a Satan to David. They came up as a Satan to David. It wasn't yeah. a guy with red horns. It was just to to oppose. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then it's also it was much easier to have evil happen as so long as you didn't have this monotheism that there was only one God. And once once we go past Babylonian exile and we have that God is there's only one God and it's all throughout the world. Well, then you now have a problem of how do you deal with there being bad things that happen? How could those be divorced from God? And then comes this idea that, OK, well, there's a fallen angel and that's how and it's somehow that's outside God's control, which even in the movie, oh, God, they never quite made sense out of that. Mm-hmm. I, I have a dear friend here in Portland who is a spiritual director and he will not see people for spiritual direction unless they believe or are willing to believe that there's an active agent of bad out in the world. It, you know, and it gets back to our whole concept of theistic beings, that there is a being. 
called God and there is a being called Satan, which. Yeah, no, I don't think you and I are there. Yeah, we're not there. Yeah. And so I have that trouble with close friends, too. I sometimes have that trouble with Virginia. And I understand why she uses the language she does, because there is a sense in which she's impoverished without that language because she doesn't have the tools. When she says, would you please pray to God that the airplane makes it all the way to wherever we're going? That's it. Exactly. Right. Okay. Or the election. I just pray to God that Trump will lose, you know. I go crazy every time she says that. But then again, that's part of what you were saying about Annie. We've we've got to address this nonsense that language and (laughs) other stuff has created. You're arguing against yourself there. Of course I am. Absolutely. Okay. I'm the Satan. Um, you, you, it's fine. It gives me less to do. Uh, chosen people. What the heck did I want to say about chosen people? I wrote down chosen people. That's right. We always think of the Jews as the chosen people, don't we? We well, always do. How we, come they got selected? How come they got that preferential? You want, you want to trade lots? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe if I knew more, I wouldn't want more. Yeah. And then I wrote, I wrote, I don't know what I was going to ask you about beloved uh, chosen people, but I, I wrote down, I want to talk about that. And then entropy and order. Uh, I don't, I, I just made down so many notes. I just love what you talked about the willpower versus won't power. And how do you know what God's will is? I love the simplicity of it. Love people use things. Yeah. Oh, and I have a quote here. Well, I want to share with you. There's this quote by a, a Muslim scholar named Taifur Abu Yaziz al-Bistami. It's a mouth fright for us to say, but I want to give him credit because it's his quote. And this is his quote. It's simple. It says this. For years, I would say, do this and give me that. When I reached the shores of wisdom, I said, God, be mine and do what you want. Oh, okay. Yes. It's an impoverished, childish notion of telling God what God should be doing. Yeah, right. And when we get wise enough, we say, Yeah, you're in charge, God, not me. I'm going to hunt for that prayer because okay. I think I can locate uh, that book of prayers. What'd you yes. got? Have you found it? This is a prayer. My friend told me the other day that he lacked willpower, Lord. He told me that he kept repeating over and over again the very things he knew he shouldn't be doing. He felt he knew the answer to his self-defeating behavior that left him feeling like a failure and a fraud as a human being. It's my lack of willpower, he said to me. I simply lack the willpower to resist my terrible temptations. Dear God, I don't think my friend lacks willpower at all. I think he lacks won't power. I have seen him in action, and he seems to have plenty of willpower. He does exactly what he wants to do. <laughs> Hold on a second. That, that just got me. That was good. He doesn't <laughs> seem to have a lack of willpower. He does what he wants. Yeah. Okay. Whatever he wills to do, he finds plenty of power to do it. His will and desires are plenty strong. Doesn't seem to me that he needs more willpower at all. I think he needs less of it. I think he needs a little more won't. I think I need less willpower too, dear Lord. Temper my will, oh God. Give me a healthy dose of won't power so that the next time I confront my private demons, I will be able to say to myself, I won't give in to this. 
help me to develop an I won't give in kind of spirit when I'm tempted to do what I know I should not be doing. When my demons speak to me, help my I won't give in desires to come forth more quickly than the I will give in one. Help me to feel that wonderful power that comes when we learn to say, I won't do this because I know it's not good for me. Help me to learn how every good decision I make in life empowers me to follow up by making another good decision later on. Will power and won't power. What powerful forces they have been in my life. I wish I had learned much sooner how well within my grasp both of these powers have been available to me all along. That's nice. Kind of a conversation. You know, we have both powers. It's just that we we choose to exercise one more than the other because I suspect it's easier to do what I want to do. Okay, so answer me this. Chocolate chip cookies sure is tasty. I know it. And what's what's in know. it for me to not eat the chocolate chip cookies? Yeah. Like, what am I getting? And if you're not giving me, oh, a, well, if you do it, you're going to get in the world to come. And if you eat the cookie, you're going to go to hell. I mean, if we're not playing with those steaks, what the hell's in it for me to not have the cookie? Yeah, I guess just your health, that you're going to be shortchanged. You only get a little bit of time on this planet. And if you yeah, but I would rather enjoy it than be one of those vegan nutbags. <laughs> Unless you come to feel really good about yourself as a vegan. Yeah, I, I, and I can have some moral superiority looking at the people with disdain who are eating the cookies. And I can think, oh, look at me. I am not eating those cookies. Uh, but yeah, you know, is there, is there, how do we make decisions that, are good and it could be good at a individual level it could be done good in a familial level could be done at a community and could be good as a social and a national level there's several levels at which something could be right so I, I can it can be part of a higher calling i can i can get i can i can get self-esteem is what i can get yes i can get that and that's that's worth more than the cookie yeah as you know what was the statement Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, that there are several levels. I think that's actually in the, in Moses's one. Probably. Yeah. I would guess that it would be that he didn't get that by himself. Yeah. What what is good? What is good? So that's a lifelong discovery, isn't it? That what we thought was good changes over time. And we define, we redefine that, don't we? Yeah, because what's good for a four-year-old is different than what's good for a 14-year-old and a 40-year-old. That's right, yeah. So man doesn't live by bread alone, Deuteronomy 8, because I just typed it in. Oh, my goodness. Nice going, Jesus. You read your book. or at least (laughs) Probably didn't read it. You probably heard it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me go then to to pride. So I'm not having the cookie. I'm feeling proud. Now, I talked with a woman yesterday, and... It seems to me, and you have had a hard, you and I have had, we've been in a disagreement about that feeling pride could be, a, you don't like the idea of people feeling proud or pride. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with it, but the more, and the more I think about it, the more I see that I think it's Christians have a, 
have a kind of knee jerk reaction to the word that I only hear it as like, I'm just pleased with myself and there's nothing wrong with that. I guess as long as it doesn't blind you or close you off from someone else. From loving someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Are you so full of yourself and what you've accomplished that it closes you off from others? Does that kind of an attitude close others off from you? It seems to me to be, if the essence of God-likeness is to lose oneself and to be absorbed in the good of others, if that is, and that's an assumption, if that assumption. Okay, is no, cool. I'm fine with that is to lose oneself because that's all the stuff that, that fights against doing God's will. What keeps us from doing the greatest good is fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. 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 So if, if in the pursuit of selflessness, there's a way that we can use pride without diminishing the progress toward that, then I would say that would just be wonderful. But it, seems okay. to be a slippery slope that once we get on the pride wagon, it closes us. Selflessness gets lost. And I don't know the answer to it, but I know the problem. The problem is. I, but here's here. Let me ask you a case point. You know me. I have much more pride and proud of myselfness than you do. Mm-hmm. I don't ever get a sense from you that the way that I live my life, being proud of my choices seems to get in my way. I've not ever gotten a sense from you that you think there's anything wrong with it, but you wouldn't hold that same kind of self-regard. Yeah. And that may not be very complimentary of me that I am not free enough to do that. Yeah. Because one of the worst things you I can a, do to you, you is give you accolades. I can give you accolades and tell you how wonderful you are and nothing makes you blush and feel you don't, you run away from that. Yeah, that's right. And I've, I've had serious thoughts about that. And uh, what is it that impedes that? The, the one thing that you have that I admire so great, greatly is your childlikeness. You yeah. know, children don't agitate or think about pride very much. They just do. You just do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you. You just do. It just comes blurting out. It may be a swear word. It may be something very profane. Yeah. You know, it may be, yeah. oh, aren't I beautiful? And there isn't a, an element of ego in that. It just seems like it bubbles out. And I admire that. I just love that. And I love that about you. You just bubble over. And you don't even think about it as being self-centered. And and I think I got that from, so when I met Jane, I mean, Jane is the most self-loving part. She, she took every, every niece I had and at some point had them stand in front of the mirror and say, I love myself exactly how I am. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Because the world outside keeps telling you you're not enough. And I learned from Jane well, that I, I gotta. That's just that's not good for me. I to agree. think that I'm. I agree with that. Jane yeah. is right. Jane is right in that. I think part of it, if I try to, you know, this writing my autobiography thing. Yeah. Being abandoned is a painful thing. It made me feel like I, I'm just not good enough. Right, right. Because what is a kid? A kid has to think that it was something that they did. There was something something inherent in themselves. I'm not worthy to have a a decent home. 
And so I did lots of compensatory things to make myself better. And the the direction I was moved in was study. I just studied the socks off. The assignment was five pages of writing. I wrote 50 pages. And it was not a story. Overkill. Yeah. So, you know, the higher I go, the, the fear of heights, it gets more scary. The more accomplished I get, the more frightened I am. I, that's a long way to fall. And so I... You, prop- do you still feel that? You feel yeah. that way now? Yes. I'm not since really? I retired. That's, I, I was at campus and I, I was at the top of my PhD class, you know, it just way top, not, not the top, way over the top. And this overcompensating yeah. thing, and I'd go walk across campus and I'd whisper myself, I was five o'clock in the morning, I'd go there early to prepare and stuff. Dean, you're a fraud. You don't deserve <sighs> to be here. And I'd have those kinds of conversations. Maybe they'll find out, you know. The imposter so, syndrome. Yes. You know, and it's, I understand it rationally as being pretty sick, but it's part of what I'm trying to recognize and, uh, and relax. And, and that affected my well, theology. I felt like Tell I had me. to have the perfect arguments for all of the fundamentalism I was trying to support. You know, I had to. Well, yeah, well that, that's of, not going to work. That's it. Didn't work. It didn't work because I was always worried I wouldn't have all the arguments I needed. That there'd be one missing, and I'd I'd collapse in front of them. When I finally came to the point that uh, that didn't matter anymore, I didn't care what their arguments were because I couldn't right. be de- deflated by it. You know. I didn't have to protect. Right. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. You're not the, yeah. the, the only one who wins in the debates, the one who doesn't get involved. Yeah, like, that's right. away. Exactly. Exactly. So let me go back to what you said about this little this little one of you who got abandoned. And now you can look back and see that that you deserved love, even if you didn't have all the accomplishments in the world. Even if you didn't have two full-time jobs, even if you weren't the yeah. highest one of way above the class. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That I'm worthy. And you know what that falls into? Loving people yeah. includes loving yourself. Yeah, that's right. I'm one of them, aren't I? You bet. You that's sure right. are. You're one of the best. Well, I just, you know, and I've learned so much from you and I love, I just love that carefree spirit. And I think that's a big part of what Jane fell in love with. You can play. You have the capacity. And that was that was why you didn't come to stained glass class. <laughs> you were just being a playful sissy, as far as I was uh, having. I was having fun. You didn't think you could even play. I know it. You didn't even know how to. You didn't know how to do art. Yeah, I know it, and that's the playful side of our nature, isn't it? It's the, it's the best, best parts. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm a fan. And that's why you're such a great parent and your children will profit from that because I hope so. You know, you have to take time and you have to learn to relax, to play. And relaxation is not something I do very easily, but you do it. And also play doesn't have all the rules to it. You don't have all the arguments figured out. It's not linear. Play involves spontaneity. That's right. And that's why I married Virginia, because she's so spontaneous. Yeah. Isn't that funny how we marry, the, we form bonds with the people who are our complement? I mean, 
how in the world would I want to hang around with someone like me? Well, I like you. <laughs> because I'm different. Uh, you know. I like you. You know what I say about you, Larry? I say you have the biggest heart of anyone I know. You really do. You have the biggest heart of anyone I know. And I remember you meeting, you being with you early on in our friendship. And I had the thought, he is the kindest person I know. And why can't I do that? Mm, well, why if he if he can do that, and it's what you always say, you know, Gandhi was a human being. If you could figure out to be nice, why can't I be nice all the time? And it inspired me. Well, thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. I think um, frailty is a wonderful blessing. I remember in one of my young ministries, I was uh, in Inglewood, assistant minister. I had had a couple of degrees earned by that time. But everyone who came in came to see the, the old minister. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was poorly educated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can you hear the way my mind was working? And I went to Hugh Morgan one day, the minister, and I said, Hugh, why does everybody come to you for counseling? Mm. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, because they see the scars on my soul. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Say more. <laughs> he says, they do not see me as perfect. They see me as someone right. who had been broken. Right. And I was continuing on. It makes me cry when I think of that conversation, how wise he was. He says, after you've made a few mistakes, you've been humiliated and broken. Yep. You'll be surprised yep. how people humbled how people will come to you. They feel the difference. Yeah. And that was great counsel. It helped me a great deal. And that's why, that's why I, I wear my, I've, I messed something up. I, I own it. And the more I own, the more people like me. That's right. Boy, huge sermon in there. That's, mm. for, that's for sure. St. Brian, the humble. You know, that's how, uh, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a saint. Thank you very much. Cause, cause the first qualification for being a saint is you got to be dead. And I'm not, I'm not ready for that. That's true. You're right. I've had overlooked yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having too much fun in this lifetime. Yeah. You know, way back when I was maybe 10 or 12, someone said in the very middle of the word pride is the letter I. And I don't know, that has stuck with me through the years. And the middle of the word sin is the letter I. So, so much that is destructive in our life is the result of I trouble. Well, I, that goes back to what you said about God's will and doing God's will versus doing my will. Yeah. And that he has plenty of willpower is that yeah. that's that's the ego. And that's that's yeah. that can be a problem. And that's what it upset can, me with Betty in stained glass was how's her, that? her earnest and deep longing for forgiveness so she can have eternal life. And I said to her, that's the very thing, that theology is the very thing I am fighting and confronting, is that if we're not willing to give up even our life, and especially our eternal life, are we selfless enough to give up eternity, living for eternity, which I remember saying to her, maybe it was unkind, uh, seems so self-centered. 
And I don't think I quite understand what you're getting. I'm missing something in this. That changed my theology about the idea of heaven and living forever. Because say it again, because I, I'm missing, I'm missing it. A spiritual person, as I came to feel, was a person uh-huh. who's willing to let everything go, even as his or her own life, that you will not protect it, that, that other things are more important than your life. And you are remembered even in this life to the extent that you're willing to give it all up. You're that unselfish. Mm. There's no greater love than, than a man who will give his life for another. In order, so um, let me, I'm, I, I think I'm a third of the way there. Yeah. But if you try to, if you're being good just to get into heaven, that's sinful. That's sinful. It's sinful because you haven't, you haven't embraced the notion that self-annihilation has at the root of it uh, a great moral core to it, sense to it. That, 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 that giving it, up the ego, right. Giving up the ego, giving up that you, you have to have the prominence. Remember the one Jesus says that you need to be willing to sit at the back of the room, not in the front of the room. And can you, can you be, blessed are those who are willing to be last for the last shall be first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the notion that, that there is so much more important than your life in this life or even the continuation of life forever and ever and ever. It's at the base of it, egotistical. Can you just renounce it all? And uh, and that's what changed my theology. And when my kids finally came to the place, place where they said, Dad, do you believe in heaven? And I said, I believe in the concept of heaven, but I don't believe in a heavenly it's place. It's a place, yeah. We go to when we die. And then do you expect to see us after you're dead? And I said, no. No, this is the working out place right here. And this is where we give all of our love and our acceptance to one another. And there's nothing extrinsically beyond that. It is it is intrinsic. Do we love someone, not to get something from them, but intrinsically for the good of loving them? That's enough. Nothing more is needed. It is intrinsically in the act of self-giving that the reward is given. That's the thing that's blessed. Right, right. That's heaven on earth. Heaven that on earth. You, that's it. Heaven you know, on earth. That's heaven. That we make this heaven on earth. When, but it gets tricky and here, and Jews I think paradox is going to help. The Jews didn't have an eternal existence in their theology, did they? At one time. Uh, yeah, we did, but let's not talk. Let's let's not talk much about that, shall we? Okay. Uh, I've never understood it. I, I know that people and Jews have felt differently about that. Uh, that I've known. And uh, it's but but, you know, if back in the year, like when Dante was writing Dante's Inferno, giving people a guided tour to hell and all that, there was a Jewish version of that book by a guy named Solomon of Rome. It it wasn't that Jews didn't have the same ideas. It's just since the Enlightenment, it's very much it's not it's not in the forefront of anything we talk about. Yeah, Uh, I know it's definitely still there to the surface in the Maccabees that. So many were wonderful martyrs. Yeah, yeah, no, and that was even yeah. that was even earlier. Yeah, there, there, there's always been a life after death. That's that's Saul with the witches of Endor. There, there's there's been a a bodily resurrection. That's but mm-hmm. uh, or a, a soul resurrection. But uh, wait, I wanted to go back. Yeah, okay. I wanted to go back that we do the right things because it's the right thing to do. 
We love people because what we're supposed to do is love people. And if you can get a hit of pride from having done the right thing, that's great. But if that pride gets in the way of you loving people and you wind up loving yourself too much because of it, then that's a problem again. I think that, yeah, I think you've, you've got the axis there that's working. That sentence or two, the clarity yeah. for me, yeah. Love people. And if we get the byproduct of pride from it, as so long as that pride doesn't interfere with our love of people. And that's the other thing where I'm going to go back to loving ourselves. If it gives us the added benefit of loving ourselves, that we can feel good about ourselves, but that still doesn't keep us from loving other people, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, and Jesus was the one who made that say, love your neighbor as you love as yourself. yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, that was also that's also that's also not with Jesus. That goes back to Deuteronomy again. Yeah. Okay. There is that notion that if that people who who don't love themselves, or if we can restate that in some more psychological term, if a person is not at ease with themselves, yeah, if they're not yeah. at ease within themselves and with themselves, they're not going to be at ease with their neighbor, and hence will do harm to them most likely. So it, yeah. it comes from a solid, healthy place. If you have a healthy self-consciousness that you really are feeling on balance, that you're committed to that which destroys chaos, that creates bindings of warmth with one another, right. that uplifts the downtrodden. If you're committed to those kinds of things, you can feel more at ease with yourself that you're on the right path. But if you're not doing those things, then you're left with a sense of dis-ease or disease, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and, uh, and then and then that's gonna make you want to reach for the chocolate chip cookie faster to because to you're gonna up. need that. That's what comfort. alcoholics yeah. Is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's a trauma and you don't want to deal with it. So I'm gonna get away from my trauma yeah. by by putting up something over it. Yeah. And what you and I tend to do when we get on the phone. I don't know if you've noticed this, but what we tend to do is to use non-religious language to describe the religious notions that Jews and Christians, because that's what we are, have used. And what people who I think are superficially Christian use the words, yeah. but, but are not very good at articulating what they are at a behavioral or emotional or spiritual or psychological level, whatever word, mm. uh, that if those things can all be explained, you don't have to use the religious words. You can use, in fact, very sectarian words. That's a, that was the point of me with the founding of religion outside the box. Was there? There has to be a way of doing this without the trappings of the particular. Yeah, because all those words are inflammatory. They. they yeah. they, when you talk about the word love, it has a hundred different meanings. And what do we mean by those concepts? What do we mean by redemption? Can we just talk about that? What do we mean by forgiveness? What do we mean by sin? You know, all those are such explosive words, partly because they've been used so wrongly. Yeah, They've been used by despots. They've been reused by cruel people. Fire and brimstone, to, as an example, people. And so they, they, they have a bad taste in people's mouth. They certainly don't have a revelatory 
base to them. They don't reveal those concepts, those words a lot. But if you use secular language, then you can talk to someone who's have issues with the temple or with the church. Right. And they don't have well, any Well, also, if you can use, you, and you can use their own language, you can use, right, that's it's right. clean. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, uh, and that's yeah. what you're doing in Religion on the Box, is that you, uh, can we coin a new language? Or, or maybe even just use the language we're given. Let's use the language we have and figure out how do we live these holy lives? And I don't ever use the word holy because that it's, that's exactly what you're saying. It's a trapping to use the word. Holy is going to screw people up, Yeah. but how do, how do we live? You know, uh, I don't I can't even think of the words that I use right now. Well, I um, know. But you know, you've met atheists. Here's what it is. I have one here. It says freeing digital age seekers from spiritual constraints with a light touch. <laughs> okay. I like the phrase light touch. With a light touch. I told you the other one I came up with was that my goal is to help people take their spiritual religious faith life more seriously and less so. Yes. Yeah. If that can be achieved. That can be achieved. No, it can be achieved. Yeah, You know Amen. what? I have met a lot of atheists who are just the dearest of people. Wonderful, wholesome, healthy, caring, deeply spiritual, according to my definition, people. Yeah, They would not feel comfortable with me calling them spiritual people or even holy people. Uh-huh. But they are. Yeah, They just don't know it. They're still dealing with language that's troublesome to them. I get that. I understand that. I respect it even. But if we want to create closeness with them, we can have a conversation in terms that are less explosive or less frightening. And then, you know, and then we become brothers and sisters. That's that's a wonderful goal. And that's exactly what you've been doing for 20 years. Working on it. I actually remember when we started Stained Glass and you you were baffled on how, because I had left the temple how I was going to have a community without having a religious community. I know. I, and it's, it's amazing how you've stuck with it. Well, I needed a community. <laughs> well, and you, you feel like you have one. You, you have more congregants yeah. that connect with you on a daily and weekly basis that many of us who had churches have. Yeah. And yours yeah. has sustained itself over many years. And you're, it's, you're, it's, still, it's, it's an art. Uh, it's an art. And you're developing the art. Um, yeah. And you've not been constrained by rules, like you said a moment ago. You've kind of. Well, and also, I haven't, been, also haven't been constrained by vision. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been willing to adapt it as I go because yeah. I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be. It's, it's, a, it's, it's art. It's growing as I do it. Absolutely. I just closed the chapter. Um, no, no, an introduction to my autobiography that my family has pushed me into writing. And it's called, Virginia's titled it, Searching for Home, because I started out being abandoned from my yeah. home. Yeah, and yeah, my life yeah, has been a works. pilgrimage back to finding home. And uh, I close with the sentence, have I found it yet? Question mark. And then I follow with one word, almost. Ah, nice. I read that to her today. She said, I don't like that last sentence. And I says, what it means to me is that it's been a pilgrimage for me. And I'm still right. alive. And I'm still, 
I'm a pilgrim. And my, my yeah. idea of home has been refined and filled and fulfilled and blessed, but there's more to come. So it's hopeful. Could you maybe change it? It doesn't sound hopeful, Larry. I would change it maybe to yes, and I'm still looking for more comfortable furniture. Or yes, and, but give your family a sense that you've found most, you're <laughs> mostly there. Said. That's exactly what she says. Well, we feel, I feel diminished by that remark. Yeah, yeah. I have to sit on that. I thought it was clever. <laughs> Almost. It is clever, but cl- sometimes, I, dude, I have a lot of writing, and there's paragraphs and whole articles, I mainly paragraphs, where it was a brilliant idea, and I keep it in, and I keep it in, but it's just clever, and it doesn't move the story where it needs yeah, to go. Yeah, that's true. No, you'd have to take that into consideration, right? I'm going to go deal with my children. You got it. Thank you for listening. I love you, buddy. I love you, too. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. That was this week's episode of Chats with Larry. Please, before you listen to another episode or do something else, think about two friends who might enjoy listening to this and send them a text or email right now. Tell them to listen to Chats with Larry. Thanks to Steve Koch, my producer. There will be another episode next week. And thanks to all of you who donate and support to Religion Outside the Box. Religion Outside the Box can be found at ROTB.org. On the website, you can sign up for the 77% weekly, my spiritual religious faith message delivered to your inbox 40 out of 52 weeks a year. You can shop at the Etsy store for great religious spiritual faith creations. Learn more about the Saturday service and stop on by some Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streamed dog free religious service open to everyone. And a special thanks to Virginia Keene and as always to my BFF, Larry Keene. I love you, buddy. <laughs>